Hello, and welcome to the Pacific Center podcast. My name is Dr. Greg Lane, and I will be your host as we explore many interesting topics with many amazing people from a variety of professional backgrounds over the months and years ahead. The focus of this podcast will be the intersection of the traditional healthcare practices of various cultures and the modern scientific research on peak physical and cognitive performance. This show will be delivered in an interview format. Quick disclaimer, while we may be discussing some health-related issues and therapies, in no way will this be construed as medical advice. As always, if you're seeking information or treatment for a medical condition, please consult with a licensed healthcare provider. Our guest today is Prana Gogia. Prana is a doctor of acupuncture and oriental medicine, a licensed acupuncturist and herbalist, teacher of Ayurveda and cranial sacral work. His passion is to help and educate people in resolving health issues effectively and efficiently. By integrating Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic medicine, and cranial sacral work, he is able to treat different patients with a variety of conditions and provide natural remedies to activate the mind-body's innate ability for healing and longevity. He comes from an engineering background and has a master's in business administration with over 10 years of leadership experience in working with executive teams of national and multinational companies and managing teams in creating and executing system strategies. He was born in India. Prana has spent over 30 years studying and practicing healing work in the lineage of the Siddha tradition. He has traveled extensively through the Himalayan regions of Tibet, Nepal, and India to learn meditative and healing practices. He practices a gentle style of acupuncture integrated with Ayurveda and craniosacral work. He teaches Ayurveda and craniosacral work in schools and workshops. And Prana, welcome. It's wonderful to have you here. Thank you, Dr. Greg. And hello to everyone who is listening. So today we're going to be focusing on a branch of Ayurveda called Kaya Kalpa. And just a, a little bit of an intro, and then I'll let you take it over here. Kaya Kalpa is the conjunction of two Sanskrit words, Kaya, which refers to the material subtle body of Kalpa, and Kalpa, sorry, which means transformation or rejuvenation. And so why don't you kick us off? What, give us a little bit of a history of of uh, what Kaya Kalpa is and, and Ayurveda, how it relates. Sure. Let's start with Ayurveda first. Um, it's an Indian medicine, has been there for a long time. Um, to give you just a brief background of time and perspective of all other medicines, um, at the time of Buddha, which was 500 BC, India had well-known surgeons who did craniotomy, who did uh, glaucoma surgery, skin grafts, prosthetic limbs. We're talking about surgery at that level, which means you have to know anatomy, you have to know physiology, you have to know nutrition, you have to know diet, you have to know how the person is going to go through the cycle of being surgery as well as coming out of it and survive. Prognostics and diagnostics, all of it. Mm -hmm. Then only we can say that they were surgeons. And even if you look today, if you look up Google and say who is the first surgeon documented on the planet Earth mm -hmm. in current modern history, it will be Sushrit, who is the Ayurvedic surgeon I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. So in 500 BC, at the time when Buddha was present, medicine was that advanced, which means it was much older. How old? 
The documented history points to about 1200 BC, but the oral tradition goes much older. Mm-hmm. And Ayurved is two words, Ayush, which means life or longevity, and Ved is wisdom. So it's a wisdom of longevity in life. Mm-hmm. How did it came together? Um, the documents, the the root text we call the foundation text of Ayurveda, it says that there was a conference of sages. In other words, before we became urban society, people were still on the planet, but mm-hmm. they lived in not owning things. They lived, we call them forest dwellers. Tribal. Tribal, not even tribal. Tribes came much after. Mm-hmm. These are the people who lived in family, wandered around, but they never stayed together as the, you are mine and this is like that. Mm-hmm. And they had families, mm-hmm. but they were forest dwellers. They never said, this is my tree you can't eat from, or this is my stream you can't drink from, mm-hmm. or this is my place you can't come and sleep here if you're tired, like that. Mm-hmm. Um, they never defined in another way um, themselves by what they possess. Mm-hmm. About 3,500 BC, we, these conference people said that there was a change. Mm-hmm. People became tribal. Mm-hmm. People became to settle down instead of being forest dwellers, they're starting to have urbanization, they're starting to come together and say, why I have to do alone all of these? I should share stream and then we should all together grow food and share food like that. Mm -hmm. It saves time, it creates community. So that was the time then sages came together and says, people's way of awareness has shifted. In other words, there was a big shift in a whole that part of the world that no longer describes themselves, identify themselves with their body and mind and senses and spirit, but rather what they possessed. Mm. And that said that this is going to create many diseases and they will need a medicine because why? As soon as they have started defining themselves by what they own and possess, their longevity is going to shrink. Interesting. And we're talking about 3000 BC that they thought that this is going to happen. Right. And we can see it today. I mean, as people start to more get engaged in outer world possessions and owners and hoardings and obsessions, we have seen those people start to get very fast mm-hmm. internally unhealthy. Mm-hmm. And these are talking about 3500 BC. It's almost like 5500 years ago. They said they realized, and that's why these all came together. And that was the conference in which the principles of Ayurveda, and you can actually read the conference uh, summary, it's still there. And Dhanvantri was, we call him Lord Dhanvantri, who you have seen probably his pictures, he's holding a nectar of uh, a vessel in his one hand and a leech on another hand, because mm-hmm. bloodletting is big in Ayurveda. And he kind of went through conference and then settled down the discussions and doubts and debates and came up with what we call today Ayurveda. That became the root text. Mm. It has eight branches. And from the day one of that conference, it has always been eight branches. And that's why some of the root texts called the eight, um, the heart of eight, which is basically Ayurveda. One of the branch is Rasayan, out of those eight branches. Um, and the other branches are things that we also see now in biomedicine, like the internal medicine, psychiatry, surgery, ENT, all of those are branches. Um, um, there is a branch called um, Vajikaran, which literally means um, taking care of yourself from a perspective of uh, uh, sensuality and able to generate your progenity and the health of progenity. Hmm. It's hard to translate that one word. Hmm. We call today fertility, but it's we don't call in Ayurveda as fertility because we are not something that grows up in a field that is fertile and then you suddenly pop up. Right. It's a lot more goes on internally. 
but before that is a branch called Rasayana, which means regeneration and prevention. And it's the part that is not yet in most medicines. Hmm. And it's one of the big branch which says that um, if you don't prevent yourself from the direction you're going, which may lead you to unhealthy, then your life will start to decrease. And by the time you realize, it may be too late. Mm-hmm. Like we have heard in Chinese medicine, you talk about it's uh, Young you shouldn't Chen. you shouldn't yeah. uh, dig up the well when you're thirsty. Right. It's too late by right. the time. It's the tradition of nourishing Correct. life for yeah. Yang Shen. Yeah, and even in um, uh, governance, we say that don't wait for state to become unhealthy. You right. should start moving things around before the signs of unhealthiness happen in a state. Mm. Same thing with um, body, and and that's what they said that this is the branch that is the most important. Part of that branch is Kayakalp. Okay. And the history goes by a story saying there was a um, king later on uh, that he had a very stubborn daughter and she was the only child and she didn't want to marry anybody because she didn't like anybody. So king kind of made a decree that we're going to put blindfold her and let her walk through the kingdom. Whoever she touches first, that will be her husband. <laughs> Because she's not ready to agree on anybody, so he's just going to take a chance with her. Right. And it happened. And it happened that as she was walking out the door of palace, the person who used to bring herbs and um, medicines from the local um, teacher of um, a herbalist, touched, he, she touched him. And he was an old guy. Mm-hmm. He was not uh, in his 20s. He was more in his 40s or mid-50s, like that, late age. Uh-huh. And now people were in like, what do we do now? So he went back to his teacher, who was the master herbalist and Ayurvedic practitioner. He said, give me 90 days. So within 90 days, he rearranged his internal and external that although he looked what he originally was, slightly less. So instead of 50, he probably looked about 30, but internal vigor and external vigor almost like he was at 25, and then they got married. So that process is called Kayakal. Hmm. It's not exactly anti-aging. Most people think it's anti-aging, that's how it's translated, mm-hmm. but it's more alchemical. alchemical. So in other words, we use the same herbs, same uh, practices that are used in daily Ayurveda, mm-hmm. same principles, it's not outside Ayurveda. Mm-hmm. It is still part of Ayurveda, and it's specifically part of Rasayan, which is prevention, mm-hmm. but in a very different way. So it's not like we're doing completely different, like in Chinese medicine, we talk about history of emperor that he went to find some immortal things and and try to be immortal. It's not that. It's very much into Ayurveda. It's part of Ayurveda, but it requires uh, practitioners understanding of deeper and person has to be with them as he goes through changing himself. So it's not like you can go live in the home. Mm-hmm. So he literally had to live with him for 90 days, follow the regiment, the practitioner was looking after him, giving herbs, giving changing things, and it's both. There is manual therapies, internal therapies, diet, meditative, all of it together. Mm-hmm. So it's not one aspect of Ayurveda that is, we can say, okay, this is Kayakalpa that you can extract and say, okay, only if you do this, it will reverse. All of this, why? Why Ayurveda was saying that the life is going to shorten and we should worry about, why are they worried about longevity? Mm-hmm. It's two aspects. One, you have to understand, Uh, is the Ayurveda comes from the South Asian uh, philosophies, which to a certain extent influenced Eastern as well, East Asian as well, Mm -hmm. which we call the Dharma tradition. 
some call Sanatan Dharma, some call Vedic Dharma, some call Buddhist Dharma, but Dharma you'll find as the common word across all, which says that um, reality or ontology we call nature of things is not, or nature of reality is not substantial. In other words, we are not substances. It's a process or force-based ontology that we are not things. We are processes, we are forces that are coming together and make us feel who we are as an individual, as a person. And the whole focus is that as you go through life, you discover really who you are. And that discovery, when it reaches to the highest level, we call that as a peak experience. Mm -hmm. That we call nirvana in Buddhist world or moksha in dharmic world. It, it, the whole focus is to have that peak experience in your life. But in order to get to that peak experience, they, I mean, sages said that you have to mature. Your mind has to mature, your body has to mature, your awareness has to mature to be able to create. In other words, they say, you can't transform yourself to higher level. You only make yourself, enable yourself to have the higher level of awareness come down to you. Mm. It's so a different become, way of thinking. You become a channel. Correct. It's become <clears throat> a vessel rather than a channel. Yeah. That you open up, you clean up, you become soft, you mature yourself, you mold yourself that you're ready to have that experience. And that's what the longevity comes in place. Is that you have to go through being a child, you have to go through being a responsible adult, you learn to live in the society, you create your own family, you go through all that to see what attachment means, what pain means, what suffering means that there is something in you that is experiencing all this, but it can experience much more. Mm -hmm. And that's what they were focused upon. And that was the reason the definition of Ayurveda does not include diseases. Mm -hmm. And that's why until 2000 or early 2000, World Health Organization didn't recognize Ayurveda as a uh, world medicine because the definition says it's about how to be living appropriately, inappropriately, happy and sorrowful condition of life, auspicious and inauspicious for life and longevity. That's what Ayurveda is. And the Kaya Kalp's focus is to help somebody who has reached a certain level of maturity to further their vessel in that way to be able to have a peak experience. So with Ayurveda, you have to go through certain levels before you start embarking upon the Kaya Kalpa level? You have to go through the certain eight levels to get to the Kaya Kalpa level then? No, the Kaya Kalpa level um, can be done anytime. Mm. So most often practitioners use Kalpa in, in their daily meditation, in their daily practice, in their daily regimen, or even treatment of the people. Principles are same. Mm -hmm. But in order to kind of do it in a concentrated way, like the, the story of that old man, yeah. it requires um, that you kind of separate from society for a while, 90 days to 120 days, depending upon you who you are. In those days, uh, three months was the main. Mm -hmm. It's no different than how Buddhists take retreat. Yeah. Say, okay, I'm going to live for a year and then separate myself from the society, go inward, do all this kind of health cleaning, mm -hmm. cleaning subtle body to have that inner experience. It's We call in Buddhist three years, three months retreat. Kaya Kalpa does focus purely on physical and subtle to prepare you for the peak. It doesn't go into spiritual side. So people that are <clears throat> that are doing Kaya Kalpa are retreating for for a period of time. Could be seven days, could be 14 days, could be f three months, okay. like that. So there's no prescription per se. For me, if you were if, if you were treating me, if Correct. you were my Ayurvedic physician, you would say, okay, Greg, you're going to take 
15 days Correct. Or, or you would work with me depending Correct. on my life, my Correct. energy, my rhythms. Yes. And you would design the Kayakalpa yes. retreat f- specifically for me. Exactly. I got it. Okay. So you look at your constitution, which is what Ayurveda's main theory is about constitution. You may have heard Vata, Pitta, Kapha. Right. Uh, what Ayurveda, as I said, it's based on ontology of th- processes, not ontology of things. So it's not looking for a substance. We're not going to modify anything that is called substance in you. It says that the world or the all of creation, multi-world or whichever you think, is um, formulated or interviewed by five main forces. Uh, we call Mahabhutas. Um, Bhutas are living conscious forces. Um, and Maha means great. And those most often get translated in English as earth, water, fire, air, and space. But mm-hmm. they're English translation. Um, when it comes down to actually looking at the Sanskrit words, they don't actually exactly mean that way. What we call earth is more like a force of gravity. Mm. Holds things together, mm-hmm. crystallizes things together, gives a shape and a form that is tangible and perceptible that you can feel solidity of it. Mm-hmm. So it's not really the earth that you stand upon. Mm-hmm. It's really more of what gives you boundary of your physical, mm-hmm. holds things inside, transfers things inside from insubstantial to substantial. And that is what as a metaphorically, if you were to think, what is Earth without gravity? Nothing. Mm. The, all the substance will go away, air will be gone, it will be just become vacuum. What mm. holds everything together, it gives, If even if you think as a Earth, as a planet, has multiple layers. We have the whole body of environment we call air and moisture that is going around in, at high speed. Is it literally part of the Earth? Probably. Yes or no, but all depends upon how you see. If the right. gravity is gone, everything is gone. Mm-hmm. So what holds it together? It's called gravity. We call that in Sanskrit, as, which is translated in English as earth. Mm-hmm. And then it's solvency. Things dissolving into each other so that something else can get created. Which often, water being the ha- biggest solvent, we kind of synonymize it as a water. But what it really is solvency. Fluidity that will dissolve things that substances no longer have their boundaries, they start to dissolve and become like one fluid thing. And that we call water. All the plasmas and uh, blood and everything is has a fluid. Mm-hmm. Bones have earth, mm-hmm. muscles, fat have earth. Mm-hmm. We have structure through that. And then comes down to when the water starts to transform, it requires heat. And that's the transformation. So anything that is transformed in the world, in galaxy, in human body, requires some kind of heat. Tejas, we say. Even to digest words into transform into meaning, you need that warmth. If that warmth is not there, you're completely tired, you have no energy, you can sit in front of a most amazing teacher, nothing will transform in your head. I mean, the words will go pass through you straight. That's why we say you don't have that light, you don't have that heat. That's the, we call the third element. In English, we call it fire. Mm -hmm. Anything that moves, Wind moves, tectonic plates move, clouds move, oceans move, rise and fall. Same thing in our body. Blood moves, heart moves, we blink, peristalsis happens, we eat, we talk, thoughts move. Anything that neuron fires, there is a movement. Chemical neurotransmitters move across the boundaries. Any movement requires something that is guiding them to move. Mm -hmm. And that force we call air Mm -hmm. or wind. Mm Very synonymous to, in Chinese medicine, as qi. The five elements. And also qi. Yeah. Um, These are phases of same one force. So, Mm. although there are five, but on the background of all of it is the fifth one, Mm. which we 
in nowadays you can metaphorize as um, dark energy. Mm-hmm. Even um, quantum physics says that everything that we see as a physical, it's only 23%. Right. Then there is a dark energy and then there is dark matter and the dark energy. Most of it is dark energy that you can't touch, you can't measure, no instruments are able to reach to that level. Same thing where they talks about that beyond all this, there is something that is undescribable. Mm-hmm. It's highly conscious. That's the only difference. We don't consider dark energy as highly conscious and highly intelligent. But Vedic not, not dharma, yet. Not yet. Yeah. Uh, but the dharma says that, that that aspect is highly conscious, highly intelligent, that our mind that have small boundaries can't penetrate it. We don't have instruments to touch it. Mm-hmm. And that we call space or akash. And from these, all these forces come arise and create shapes and forms that we have today. Mm-hmm. When these start to, sages start to see that, they said, how do you diagnose person with five elements? It's almost impossible. Because every aspect of it, if you take a cell, it has a boundary that is earth. It has metabolism happen inside, that is fire. There yeah. is movement that happens in and out, and senses and touches, that is all air. And it has a space that occupies. So every part of the body has all those five. It's hard to diagnose through that. So you won't find in Ayurveda, that's the difference between Chinese medicine and Ayurveda, the diagnostics is not by elements. Yeah, the Chinese medicine d- breaks it down like that too. When you get deeper into the five elements, there's five elements within the five elements within the five elements. Correct. Yin in the yang, Correct. yang in the yin, and it, it keeps going. Going on. But for, yeah, it's difficult so what for this diagnosis. Said is, in order for Ayurveda to actually be able to diagnose, they kind of put root patterns, mm. which we call vata pitta kapha. Mm-hmm. They're called doshas. Can you describe the doshas for our listeners? Just give us a high-level overview yeah. of the of the doshas. Sure. Dosh means fault. 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 Like? Um, if someone to come and steal something from my oh, house, okay. Okay. he will be taken to the court and the charges of theft will be applied to him. He will be charged. Okay. So the charges are called doshas in Hindi. If you go to same thing happens in India, the person will be taken to the court and is he's the he's the doshas that he's being applied with these faults. Okay. And he's the faulty person, mm. and it's called doshi, mm-hmm. or we call here uh, the, the person who's being charged with. Okay. Dosh means something that is fault. It is inappropriate. It should not have happened, but has happened, and it's going to uh, unharmonize the forces that make us. Mm-hmm. So watapeta kapha are doshas fault but patterns they're not things most people get confused that the Vata are real things they think in terms of weather is spring really real we have we just we're going through summer we're passing through summer is summer really real can you put a summer in the water bottle and ship it to China from here no but the forces behind it the humidity which is basically water fire the heat from the earth sun where the earth is with respect to the sun which is a relationship between the two big gigantical bodies and the wind all of those in a certain range it creates a certain environment we call it summer mm-hmm. even the summer in san diego this year is very different from last year mm-hmm. same summer today here now is very different from summer in bahrain right now or in india or in malaysia so even though it's summer everywhere in the planet at least the northern hemisphere but it's very different mm-hmm. in the same way when in ayurveda says you are a pitta dosha doesn't mean that two pitta are same Right. It's a pattern that is identified by interaction of forces. Pattern means it's a human conception. The sages created and identified three patterns are the root patterns, and they combine with each other too. 
So for example, if a WhatsApp pattern is suddenly starting to become express itself beyond a certain range, then that person will experience, say for example, dryness in their WhatsApp is primarily air, primarily, but it's air and space. They'll, they'll experience more cold than usual, their skin will get dry, they'll have constipation, they'll have a restless mind, they've, they'll experience anxiety and fear, they will get uh, startled by small things. That's we said the Vata pattern has now expressed itself, it's a fault pattern. If so, it's not appropriately balanced, then those will affect physical, mental capabilities. Mm -hmm. So people identify themselves with, with one of the three doshas. Is, so, that, is that a correct sort of position? It sounds like they're more fluid and they change. You know, your expression of yeah. the kapha patterns or energetics is more, more appropriate. So people identify it's because we are born with certain amount of those five elements, five forces that make us with a certain degree. So everybody, like I said, every place has a different summer across time and space. So the forces are real. Mm -hmm. When the forces make us, um, we have a certain constitution. We call that innate nature. If we stay in that innate nature, our life goes through the longevity as, as it is designed, or as it was supposed to live, or as we fully live it, or we have capability to experience what we're supposed to experience, or we want to experience. But if we go out of that innate constitution, which means I'm going out of my uh, forces that are in ratio of certain degree. Pattern is nothing but forces in a certain ratio. And that's what we call weather pattern. Same thing inside us. Vata is a pattern. If somebody who is a Vata constitution innately will have a tendency to have a dry skin, will have a tendency to get constipated, will have tendency to race his, uh, racing mind, mind is restless, will have tendency to be able to start 10 different things and feel happy about it. Mm -hmm. These are the people who really want to do start things but may not finish any of them. But they're not really affected by it that I didn't finish those. They would love to keep creative things. So they have that tendency to experience that, which has that innate constitution. So they, in English, the problem, because when you translate Sanskrit, which is based on process ontology, mm -hmm. to English, which is subject object and thing ontology, yeah. you start using articles like is. Right. And is kind of equates things. Apple is green, so we're kind of equating, but it's really not that greenness and apple are two same logical values. Right. right. But that's how English is. So when people start reading English and when they talk about English that you are a Vata person, they start thinking that I am really something called Vata. But it's a pattern that somebody has conceptualized in identifying the pattern of imbalance or possibility of imbalance. Mm -hmm. Pitta on another is primarily fire. But in, if you think, it's probably more like a damp heat. Mm -hmm. It has the damp as well and heat as well. But the heat is more mm -hmm. than damp. And that, if it increases, you get heat issues. You get anger. You get too much irritation. You get ulcers. You mm. get heat in the blood. You get rashes. You get clammy skins with fall order. Mm. So those are pitta. Mm. Kapha, on the other hand, is primarily damp, cold. Mm. So it's uh, heavy. Cold, when it's Dima. damp, becomes heavy. So yeah. then these people get congestions. They, yeah. they get heaviness. They get obsessive. They get greedy. So all of those are we call patterns of kapha that are imbalanced. Mm -hmm. And then we figure out what is this person's innate constitution and how do we bring it then to that same constitution? That's primarily of what the basis of Ayurveda is. In Kaya Kalpa, we go slightly further. We look, everybody as we go through life accumulates some kind of imbalance. Mm -hmm. We all, life is complicated, doesn't matter where you live mm -hmm. um, nowadays, more than other. 
you will go through suppressed emotions. You will eat something in a party that didn't like you didn't like, but you enjoyed at that point. So that in Ayurveda, everything that is not transformed to its complete state is called ama toxin. There's only one word for ama, a toxin in the whole Ayurveda, ama. It means something that was supposed to be completely transformed into a different state, it didn't happen. You ate, I ate, for example, a heavy pizza, which I'm not supposed to, for example, because mm -hmm. my digestion is weak, for example. Mm -hmm. But I enjoyed it. I was having a party with people, I enjoyed it. But it did not fully digest through. Mm -hmm. Now, there are things that should have gone out of my body, hasn't gone out. And that becomes toxic. Same thing with emotions. I was having argument with my parents. I should have told something I don't want it, but I couldn't. And I, now I'm doing it, which I don't want to do it. That whole thing becomes now undigested thought process, which becomes toxin. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter what is it, whether it's a physical, insubstantial, if it's not fully transformed, it gets suppressed inside our being, mm -hmm. that becomes toxin. Yeah. In Kaya Kalpa, we look which ones where they are. And then we work with the person to actually kind of in a more faster way move them out. But Ayurveda does that normally. So if you go to another practitioner, he's going to look for the exactly same or she's going to look for exactly the same. But in much more um, easier way for your life as you're living through rather than taking you out of the life, then actually doing all these things and putting you back. So take us through a Kaya Kalpa experience for somebody. And, and what, what would some of the some of the things that people come for like why would i come and say you know prana help me you know with some with some kaya kalpa most often um there historically there are two major reasons one is like that um, mythical story about somebody who had to go back into a state for whatever reason that mm -hmm. they feel that the herbalist that became 30 again correct, when he that, was that seven. they haven't lived the life right. now they have opportunity to live the life but they require more energy and inner strength and emotional awareness of able to do that okay in modern times it's more chronic diseases okay so how how frequent is kayakalpa used for for example in in india where it was originated in uh, in in india most often the kayakalpa is used if you have money Okay. If you have a practitioner, uh -huh. if you have enough uh, social status to be able to get out of the place and mm -hmm. let it run your whole family like that. So it's it's not something like everybody uses every day. What happens is for chronic diseases, practitioners have opportunity. Mm -hmm. So they will incorporate a little bit of it. Mm -hmm. So and somebody who has a chronic say somebody who has diabetes type 2, for example, mm -hmm. they have reached to a place where they have now organs starting to be affected. They're starting to have night blindness or their retina is not staying. So now they know that they are, there is an opportunity for this person to be able to transform themselves. And if they're willing, then they'll tell them, okay, come live with me for a month. I'll go through the process. They won't tell them Kaya Kalpa yeah. and such, but they'll apply the same process, which is primarily based upon what we call Panchakarma. Panchakarma, but, yeah. Uh, which is five actions. Um, some of them are in Chinese medicine as well, but some of them are actually dropped out because modern life doesn't help. But it's basically emesis, purgation, uh, uh, all uh, animas. Those mm -hmm. are the three main. Okay. Where you, in other words, you focused on organs, mm -hmm. each organ, specifically the organ that is highly toxic. In diabetes cases, mostly digestive systems, mm -hmm. pancreas and uh, stomach. Mm -hmm. And then it's now affected the blood, which is now affecting other organs. So you have to think in terms of where the person stages, 
how do you slowly get the toxins out at the same time not get affect their life and health so that they don't deplete too much yeah if you, you can't over over emise or correct or, or purge yeah so you can't immediately do that so that's why you have to live with them they'll give you the diet they will actually make sure that you eat the food you're meant to eat they'll sometimes mix herbs in the food they'll do through the manual therapies first they will give you regimens for sitting in meditation inner work figuring out what's going on with your emotions working with it so it's all of those happens together but it happens in a duration that person has agreed 30 days 14 days like that and they'll create that regimen so the herbs are used manual therapies are used um, emotional therapies counseling meditation yoga all of it is used mm-hmm. yeah when we were talking about you know this interview i wasn't even aware of kayakalpa as a as a um a, a part Practice, of ayurveda yeah. so how how often is it used here um in western world I think the first time um, a practitioner came from India and established an Akaya Kalpa mm-hmm. um, institute, it was in 1979. 79? Yeah. And where, where was that? Northern California. In Northern California, like Esalen? No, oh. um, LA, and um, now he's in Glen Ellen, Dr. Pandey. He's old now. Okay. Um, but he was the first one, I think, as far as I know, who actually had a lineage from some Siddha teacher. Mm-hmm. that he studied and then he brought it here. So the fair uh, but now it's fairly, in India, now it's fairly available in many places because now India is getting much more money and much more people are becoming aware that sure. what's the um, industrial food and living and stressful living is doing to their lives and, mm-hmm. and how the diabetes is climbing up and how mm-hmm. the emotional issues are climbing up. So now in India, there are more people coming up. But um, when India went through suppression of colonization all of these arcs kind of went away lot went to tibet mm. so if you go to tibetan medicine you will hear precious pills you will right. hear retreats uh, health retreats where you will go live in a certain way which is more towards buddhist way of thing but it's still kayakalpa mm. where you will hear yogis living uh, in a way that uh, they their life was uh, l- focused on longevity but for inner work Mm. So for that same peak experience. So in Tibet, it's more. In uh, So when Tibetans came to, after Chinese revolution, when Tibetans came to India, they actually brought a lot of it. So if you go to Dharamshala, you will find precious pills and you will find regiments. They'll describe, okay, you have to go take a retreat, live this way, and then do take these pills and take these uh, external therapies and internal therapies. But those are all coming from Rasayana and Kayakalpa. Does it follow a particular uh, religious practice or like is it hindi or is it buddhist or is it combination or neither no so ayurveda itself as i said originated from those people who came around to say that okay we're not going to live fully Mm -hmm. we need to do help people so they live fully so they can experience what their inner experience peak experience looks like so it has nothing to do with religion Mm -hmm. it is based on the same uh, outlook or a worldview we call the dharmic worldview where the world is based on process ontology, that things are not substantial. Everything is insubstantial. Mm-hmm. But it has nothing to do with religion. Uh, Ayurveda does not have any... So let, let me step back. What does How does Ayurveda define us? Most people think it's body, mind, and spirit. That's how Ayurveda defines. But it's not fully correct. The root text of Ayurveda says, um, Sharira, Indri, Sattva, Atma, Dhari, Jiva. It means Sharira, body, 
in the subtle body or sensual body, sattva mind and atma self. When these four come together, then we have what is called jiva. That means that living being, and he actually, Charak, this is coming from Charak, he actually clarifies further that people may get confused. He says, the only difference between innate and animate, not human, any animal, so it plants, ant, microbes, human being, and innate, which means table, chairs, rocks. The only difference between these two is senses. That's it. So all body, mind, and spirit, if you think, everything has it. Rock has it too, according to Ayurveda. But the only difference between rock and us is that we have senses, mm -hmm. we can experience, we can enhance our experience, rock cannot. Plant has senses, it senses water, it senses weather pattern changes, it flourishes, it, it goes through its experience. So the only difference between innate and inanimate is senses. And Kaya Kalpa's primary focus is the gateways through senses, which we call subtle body. So when someone goes through the retreat, the Kaya Kalpa process, say, whatever it is, for me, it would be a week or 14 yep. days or 30, depending on how we're working together. How often would they do that, you know, in, in their lifespan or, I mean, I guess it would depend on on what they're going through yes. and, and they would seek yes. seek you out for yes. Yes. So initially when somebody comes for say i want to go through kaya kalpa mm -hmm. most practitioners today because knowing they're coming from urban unless they're like yogis and all that's different altogether right but they know they're coming through urban life they won't be going to be able to sit for an hour still right they won't have that capability and strength to be able to live on a food which is very simple or have their mind completely inside. Mm -hmm. So they will tell them go through first a week of Panchakarma or even a three days of Panchakarma. Okay. And then they will go through slowly building their strength and then reach to a level that, okay, they can realize that now they can take the big one. Mm -hmm. So it's, it, Ayurveda never says that you should change your diet tomorrow. You should never do anything suddenly. Right. Because it's a process. Right. Disease is a process. Life is a process. You don't jerk it around. Mm -hmm. So you always go through where the person is, where their strength are how far they can take their um, changes and then work with them. Mm -hmm. What is appropriate for this age, for this person's age, what they're coming from, what is their social background, family, all of it. So it's not a one factor saying, okay, now I'm going to change you. It doesn't yeah. work that way. Yeah. So it's not like you go to Panchakarma for, or um, Kayakalpa for a month and then you go back to living your life exactly as you were before you did the Kayakalpa and then go for another yes. month of Kayakalpa and go back and live exactly no. the same way. That will you be jerking around. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Once you change, it's very hard to go back. Right. So it, they will work with you in a way that you are ready to change. Mm -hmm. It's not that... Um, that in other words, it's not a substance base. You're not enhancing substance in yourself that now that substance is depleted, you go back and again enhance the substance and then come back and deplete. That's not the way. Yeah. It's more of uh, thinking. Uh, it, it, our thinking about substance comes because we think we were not there before the body was formed in the womb. Mm -hmm. That substance comes around, egg and sperm, and creates the body and then somewhere along that transition process from being two cells to a complete 50 trillion cells and consciousness arises. That's how we think. Mm -hmm. But Dharmic traditions have a totally different view. 
they there is say, no beginning, no end, right? No, they say that that body that I said, sensual body, mm-hmm. subtle body, it's called Sambhokaya in uh, Buddhist tradition mm-hmm. or Sukshamkaya in Vedic tradition, it's same. It's subtle body, you always have it as long as you have desires to experience something. Mm. So you actually went into the womb with that body, created your physical body, which is called Nirmanakaya, constructed body. So you actually created your own physical body with the intelligence that is already in your subtle body and then came out from the womb. So it wasn't that somehow consciousness arised. So that means the intelligence through which you created your own body is still there in you. All the Ayurveda practitioner has to do is give you the right amount of substances that you can recreate it and clean up the things that are stopping that process to happen. Mm-hmm. That's Ayurveda. So how does the how does the practitioner diagnose, if you will, the state of balance uh, in an individual? In a person. So you start with innate okay. constitution, prakriti, we call it. Mm-hmm. So in pulse, so there are th- um, Ayurveda says there are three main body of diagnostics: parshna, sparshna, darshna. Prashna is asking questions. We call her inquiry of everything. Mm-hmm. What is your job? What do you do? How is your poop? How does you feel? All kind of questions. Do mm-hmm. you feel cold? Do you feel dry? You feel you have ringing in here? What is your appetite like? So we go through all these questions. This is the one full body. That's the one leg of diagnostics. Mm-hmm. Then it's Sparshna. We palpate. We palpate carotid pulse. We palpate radial pulse. Radial pulse gives us the constitution and also how it's different from where you are today from your constitution. Mm-hmm. We palpate channels. We palpate organs. We palpate um, the, the pulse in the cranium to relate all of this, what is happening inside the body. And then the third leg is observation. We look at your tongue, we look at your urine, we look at how your gait is, we look at how your tones are, we look at how your skin looks like, all of that. Mm -hmm. So all of these combined together then creates your state. That defines diagnostic as the beginning of the first state. Mm -hmm. That's traditional. That's what um, you read in the co- uh, text. That's what you learn in the school if you go to Ayurveda or with the teacher. But the tradition I come from, Siddha tradition, where the Kalpa is huge. Mm-hmm. Siddha tradition says that you cannot diagnose somebody fully unless you actually become them. Mm-hmm. So that suksham body, I said the subtle body, that we come into womb with that body, Mm-hmm. and create ourself, that subtle body or suksham body is still with us. That subtle body kind of goes into other person's subtle body. Then that information tells us what's going on to them. And so it's no different than what we do in cranial cycle work. If you actually do in cranial cycle work, mm-hmm. um, my teacher's teacher used to say, you don't diagnose a person until you are in mid-type. Mm-hmm. which is nothing but the dis- mid-tide is a description of a body that's not physical, mm-hmm. it's subtle. And they say, you don't touch a person until you're mid-tide, and you don't diagnose until you and client both are in mid-tide, which mm-hmm. means you both are literally one. Mm-hmm. Then you same thing in Ayurveda thousands of years ago, saying you have to become them to mm-hmm. be able to see what's going on with them. Mm-hmm. That's advanced at the level. But mm-hmm. in traditional, prashna, sparshna, and darshna, yeah. observing, palpating, and asking questions. There's so many There's so many parallels to, yeah. to Chinese medicine. As you're talking, I'm thinking about all the parallels of Chinese yeah. medicine. This would be uh, in the, in the uh, Neijing, the, the role of the heart. Yeah, Shen. 
mountains showing that there were buddhists so to say that buddhism came in 200 bc and didn't bring ayurveda yeah. it's like a blinders yeah so the it's very entangled mm. neijing is very entangled with so many things shangalon is very and if you look at shangalon six layers they're mm-hmm. very much physiology of ayurveda yeah so it's very entangled so i call it there is so many things together so many parallels sun simya is called the king of medicinal yeah but sun simya himself writes about a person who he considers the physician king yeah Jivak, who was in 500 BC around the same time, he treated Buddha. He's considered as the king of physician. He traveled across all the way to Thailand. He's the Thailand's uh, uh, Wahukuru, which means the father medicine for person. He actually created Thai medicine and the medicine of bodywork of Thai. Hmm. His ta- statue is in oldest Thailand, uh, Buddhist temple in uh, Thailand, in Bangkok. So he was Jivak and he treated so many kings that he was considered as the king of all physicians. Mm. Jiva, it means, remember I said life. Mm-hmm. Jivak means one who gives life. Some cons- uh, conspiracy theorists say that Han Dynasty invested Chiba, which doesn't exist anywhere else in the history of China, from the stories of Jivak. Jivak becomes Chibo. Because Chinese Jiva, Jiva, Jiva yeah. yeah, interesting. But it's a conspiracy theory. I mean, I don't know if it's true or not. But if you look at history of China, it doesn't exist Jiva before that. Yeah. And the Jiva history stories of Jiva went across all of South Asia, and he lived in Thailand for a long time. So he traveled from what is today Afghanistan, and finally ended up in Thailand. And his stories were all over South Asia, and they were inspiring. So there is a lot of entanglement between Chinese. I'm not saying the Taoist medicine hasn't influenced um, Neijing. But there is also Buddhist and there is also Ayurveda that they've incorporated. Mm-hmm. And like how today's premier says in China, if you want to practice anything in China, you have to culturalize to the Chinese state culture. So modern, modern, is, modern Chinese medicine is completely different. But no, but this, the whole ruler saying that if you want to practice Buddhism, mm-hmm. then in China, you have to culturalize to what state culture is. Oh, that's, yeah. Yeah, so you too. think they didn't do that in 200 yeah. BC when Han Dynasty said, if you want to practice Ayurveda, it has to be Chinese culture Ayurveda? It's the same principle that goes along all the cultures. Arabs did the same thing. We call Arabic numerals, but they actually came from Hindus. Mm-hmm. Arabs call Hindi numerals, and we call Arabic numerals, but they came from one place. Mm-hmm. So there is all these entanglement. It's like saying that, okay, India has nuclear capability, yeah. but that has nothing to do with Einstein or Max Planck. or Right. It's impossible to say that. Yeah. So it's always entangled. It's the world is very entangled to say that this is my medicine, this is your medicine. It doesn't exist. Yeah. To me, Ayurveda has so much influence from Chinese medicine. Ayurveda has influenced so many medicines across the world. So to say it's pure, it, it just took a hard. little longer. They didn't have the internet back then. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> they had the Silk Road. They had Silk Road. Yeah. yeah. So I, I want to dive a little deeper into the the actual therapies. Yeah. So tell us a bit more about what, you know, you would give some diet, you would do some massage, you would do some uh, some meditation, you would do some yoga. G- dive a little deeper for us. So 
Let's take a simple case, if that helps. Sure. Because that will be much easier rather than talking in yeah, abstract let's terms. Take, let's yeah, let's uh, look at a patient or something. Yeah, let's yeah. take a simple case. Sure. Um, I have a um, patient, without giving gender or age, sure. who has gone through in life a lot of trauma. For 10, 10 plus year birth control, 20 plus year on uh, antidepressant. Okay. Um, now, person is somewhere in 30s. Mm. They won't have a family. They realize the MD said that if you really want to have family and live a normal life, you have to first get off from antidepressants because mm-hmm. it's not going to help you to live. They also realize just keep, the dose keeps going up and up and up. Mm. It's not helping them. Um, so they took six months to get off from antidepressants. So they had that courage that I want to, so first thing was enthusiasm in that I want to live my life. Mm-hmm. I'm no longer wanted to be dependent on substance to live my life. I want to live my life naturally is to be able to have a family yeah. that I can nurture. That's what we call the first step of maturity mm-hmm. in a person's life. The awareness. Ayurveda will say, okay, this person has taken the first step to take the responsibility of their health, to take the responsibility of living life. They have brought up that enthusiasm that I want to live my life fully. Mm-hmm. I'm not living anymore. So they took six months to get off. Then they realized they have no hunger. The antidepressant for 20 years has almost resolved their satiation level and hunger to same. They, hmm. they don't feel hungry mm-hmm. and they're neither satisfied from what they eat. So they eat habitually. Hmm. And to a place where now because they're off antidepressant, anything startles them, anything makes them fear and anxious. Mm-hmm. So they went through multiple alternative therapies. They went through even Ayurvedic practitioner, MDs who practice Ayurveda, to chiropractors who practice Chinese medicine or Ayurveda. Nothing helped. To place where uh, somehow they found me and then say, okay, I need help. And they had like a laundry list of supplements they were on. All kind of supplements from Ayurvedic ashwagandha, which is considered adaptogen for androgenic hormones, to um, uh, opposite estrogens. So they were taking substances and supplements. They were kind of making them a pendulum swinging back and forth. And Mm -hmm. they were not feeling in their mind, in their body. But none of these people looked what Ayurveda says the first thing. That if they have no hunger, nothing will work. Mm -hmm. So they got the enthusiasm for life. You're supposed to take that enthusiasm as a practitioner. Transform internally so they have a hunger now. And they can absorb food. Giving them supplement it's not going to replace food. Right. So they're not absorbing food. You're just bumping supplements on the top. They're just going back and forth. Mm-hmm. So the first thing I said, and the good part was they already knew what Ayurveda was. They already knew that they have to go through a different process. And they showed me all of that. I said, you're not absorbing food. You're just taking supplements, thinking that's food. It's not. It's called supplement. Supplement are supposed to trigger organs to do more. Supplements don't replace food. Mm-hmm. But if your organ is not doing its function and it's not healthy enough, you trigger more, you stress more. So the tongue looked like, as if we call in Chinese medicine, completely yin and blood deficient, pale, geographic, missing half of the cord in the front, mm-hmm. and red. Mm-hmm. So I said, first, slowly get off from all these supplements. Start taking herbs only after your food is digested. So I take them one by one, everything off. I gave took them- Took all the supplements away. Take all the supplements. I gave them food that is easy to digest. So I 
pulled all the processed food out, starting to give them what we call khichdi. The recipes of khichdis are all over the place. It's basically rice and lentils cooked together with spices, uh-huh. horiji. It's more like um, kanji. Kanji. Yeah. By the way, kanji comes from South India originally, <laughs> <laughs> then became what we know today. So it's very porridge. It has everything. So and they easy, knew how easy to cook. To digest. Yeah, and they knew how to cook. Yeah. Um, they were in the mind that they have to eat because they were feeling this um, what traditionally is defined as a hypoglycemia, where mm-hmm. you actually uh, feel low blood sugar and you feel your hands and feet sweaty. are going cold and sweaty and yeah. heart is racing, mm-hmm. and you feel that you need to eat something. Yeah. I said no. You're feeling that because you're taking two supplements that are making a pendulum. So if you take the supplements off, you start digesting food, that will go down. And it did. So they no longer had that heart racing, sweaty, clammy, but they don't have hunger. They were still eating habitually. Mm-hmm. So there's a very simple thing you can do, which we, which we which I still do for people who come with like chemotherapy and chronic diseases, they have no hunger. There's something called black salt. Um, it's a normal salt, um, but cooked with salt that comes from earth mm-hmm. for a longer time in a sealed chamber, sometimes in bamboos, sometimes in this. It makes, it changes from being a sodium chloride to with a very little sodium chloride, but high level of sulfur now. Hmm. So it smells like rotten eggs. Uh-huh. And you can't cook with it. It's not supposed to be cooked for. It is, for, it is used as a topical um, uh, modifiers. Mm-hmm. So you take a pinch of, suppose you're going to eat around noon. Mm-hmm. Usually around between, in Ayurveda, we say between uh, 10 to 2 is your main time that you should have somewhere in between that time, a big lunch. Mm-hmm. So you pick a time between 10 to 2 according to your lifestyle uh-huh. and say, okay, you're, you're supposed to eat lunch around, say, 12.31. Yeah. And you're not getting hungry. You take a pinch of black salt with a fresh piece of a ginger, put it in your mouth, suck it, chew it. The juice of ginger freshness and the salt, um, black salt together, when it goes out of the stomach, it's going to wake up the hunger. Mm-hmm and you will feel hungry. So initially they said, yes, they feel the gurgling and all that, but they still don't feel hunger, which means the body is starting to actually create the hunger, but the subtle body, the senses that we're talking about is still not connected. Hmm. So they don't experience the hunger that body is going through in their senses because the antidepressant has suppressed so much senses that they no longer can sense what is going on inside the body. So in Chinese medicine, I'm going to translate this, you've tonified the kidney and the spleen yang. Uh, mostly correct. yang and the spleen. Yeah. Because Kid, the spleen. Kidney yang and spleen yang. Yeah. And salt. The, correct. Ginger. And spicy, acrid, warm, and salty. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. that wakes up the hunger. And mm-hmm. then I said, eat khichdi at that time, which is very easy to digest. They started doing it. They're starting to build the strength. Mm-hmm. It took another three weeks. And while they're going through, I treat them with body work. I treat them with essential oils. I treat them with acupuncture. Um, and then I told them to um, start doing once at least what we call enema, which is colonics, mm-hmm. to clear the colon. Um, and then as the khichdi passes through, once I saw they're absorbing khichdi, I gave them herbs to mildly detox the whole GI tract. It's called trifala. Go back to the essential oils. So would you use them topically or how do you use And what, what do you use in this case? In this case, primarily to bring up all the trauma that was suppressed for which they took antidepressant. And what, what uh, fragrances? Or so what you combine, uh, these are all oils that will warm the heart, okay. warm the kidney, warm the mind to be able to bring up everything that was suppressed and now process through. Because all the toxins that have to be come up 
process and move out. We are doing same thing with GI tract. We're cleaning up everything is stuck so that the hunger can arise and body can absorb. You have to do the same thing with senses, same thing with mind. Everything that is suppressing them from experience, you have to slowly bring up, give them strength to process it through. So they talked about all the trauma they went through. This is it like sandalwood or is it uh, the woods? Ylang Ylang. Oh, Ylang Ylang. Ylang Ylang, uh, jasmine, uh, jasmine, that is called spikenard, Himalayan spikenard. So more, more aromatic fragrance to open up the, uh, the So jaramansi goes into mine. Uh-huh. It is very uh, nutmeg, which is very trans-inducing. Mm. Um, brings uh, Yalang Yalang is very um, calming, but at the same mm-hmm. time, it warms up the heart. It's considered as aphrodisiac because it warms the kidney and heart mm-hmm. to bring that uh, sensuality back. Jaramansi is considered as a sp- more spiritual. Uh, it wakes up the mind's clarity to be able to see things rather than get engaged with it. Nutmeg does the same thing. It warms but allows you to see it rather than getting run by here and there by your mind. So those are so many different fragrances. Yes. Do you apply them separately or do you apply them at particular points on the body? Yeah, marma points on the body. Marma point, so you'd put a drop on the, on the back, marma points. Most of it back. Most of it on the back. back. Together. Combined with the carrier oils. Okay. Carrier oils, they will again warm up. Mm. But these are all topical. Mm. These are all affecting the insubstantial body, mm-hmm. the senses. It wakes up. To, so we say the root of all senses is touch. The meaning has to touch you to transform you. Mm-hmm. The food has to really touch you inside to be able to have a taste. So touch is the root of all. So when you're touching, if you are present with calm, you're helping person to feel the touch of their breath inside, it starts to change everything. Mm-hmm. So they have to process through. It took them another three weeks to say that, okay, now I'm actually feeling hungry, but because they were doing salt and ginger every time, it also purged things. Because mm-hmm. remember, salt and ginger are very purging. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, you're starting feeling hunger, and you're starting to purge things, you'll stop the salt. Mm-hmm. And then we'll go further. And then you slowly go from that to now first time giving them herbs to help with their anxiety so they can go through the life. This was mostly they were at home. So it took them almost six weeks to stay home and then work very little. And then it will take another two weeks before they can realize what happened. So it takes slowly to build it. But in the end, you go through the same layers before like any disease, physical, subtle mind and then awareness all four layers you have to touch and you have to find which one is not working if digestion is not working no matter what you do after that mm-hmm. it's useless yeah so you have to bring what we call in in chinese when in stomach chi up tonify the if earth first you yeah. have to bring the stomach level to be able to digest food because if you are not able to materialize yourself you're not able to create the vessel that will experience mm-hmm which in Chinese means the, the starts to separate, Shen starts to separate all Fai, Hun, and Po. Starts mm-hmm. to separate if you don't have enough blood, if you don't have enough yin, same thing. Mm-hmm. But in this case, you actually nourish first. Food first, external therapies first. Once the body builds a little bit of strength, then you start giving herbs to further um, detox or further clear. Mm-hmm. But without depleting them. At no point you deplete them. Because as you deplete, you're actually losing backwards. So not much exercise, more sitting. Uh, more. The exercise mostly like the one that can walk. Walking, um, yeah. Okay. Um, we won't do cardio if they're very depleted. Sure. But if there is a kapha person, which means they're obese and they're heavy and their toxins are stuck in them, mm-hmm. 
make then them sweat. Then you make them sweat. Then you'll go through putting them in a, uh, steamers to warm up, have them a little bit of cardio, and then slowly build the strength to release. Mm-hmm. But it depends. Not in pers- this case. Though. Not in this case. This yeah. person was didn't even have enough weight. Yeah. They didn't feel their body. They didn't feel their emotion. They didn't feel their hunger. They didn't feel their satisfaction of food. Mm-hmm. So it's a very different person. Mm-hmm. In this case, um, it's uh, it's still we call kapha, which is the um, the damp, mm-hmm. but it's insubstantial. Mm-hmm. It's blocking every senses. So the body and senses are not working with each other. Mm-hmm. Same with kayakalpa. You will do exactly same depending upon where the person in that stage is. So you will go through assessment of their body, you'll go through assessment of their mind, senses, see what is suppressed, see what is access, see what is deficient, which organs always start with the digestive fire first. Into the tradition I come from, we say in body there are 52 fires, not one, not two, 52. If all the fires are humming perfect, you have no disease. But if any one of those fire gets irregular, too high, too low, it's going to result in some toxin. Either food will get burned or food will not get digested well. Either way, you're going to have toxins that now needs to be cleaned. Hmm. So you look for the first heart fire, which is the she, uh, that person had enthusiasm, that I want to live without these things. Mm-hmm. That's the heart fire, we say. If that person didn't have that, I would have started with that. To do you really want to do this? Mm-hmm. Are you into doing this? And why? So that would be more counseling to get to the heart? To understand their enthusiasm will be counseling, yes. Okay. And helping them to see that it is your responsibility to have that. Nobody can put that enthusiasm in you. No medicine can add to your heart saying, now you go live your life. Mm-hmm. That has to come from inside. It's a base, base motivation. It is the base motivation and intention, we say. If that is not there, you can't even increase stomach fire. Mm-hmm. You can give them high amount of young herbs or digestifier, it will just More go away because they have no enthusiasm. Right. They have no zest yeah. to live. No joie de vivre. And so once that comes, then comes the digestifier. Can they digest food? Yeah. If they can't digest food, they won't digest herbs. Then once you build a little bit of strength, working with emotions. Because if they have emotions, you give them herbs and food, the emotions will interfere. So if somebody is very, very angry all the time and they have irritability, you give them really calming food, it is not going to digest well. Mm-hmm. So you have to have them, give them some meditation, some way of saying that when you eat, please do not have an emotional state that is not conducive to food. So maybe you should start cooking things, feel food, have aromas, give them guidance to make quick foods in 20 minutes that are healthy they can connect with the food so they have emotional attachment to the food before they eat so the irritation at least vanishes when they're eating mm-hmm. and then they come back later that's fine so you have to find a way to have the digestifier come up then herbs but you can't separate things from emotions and their zest the only thing out of this stops is like if you don't have zest of life that's the first thing but it's outside ayurveda mm-hmm. That's where I say Ayurveda is not spiritual. Then they will tell you, practitioner will tell you, find a spiritual counselor. Find really what is going on in your life, why you don't want to live. You have taken birth. You took all the effort to build this body in the womb, came out. What is now stopping you to go further in? So there's no spiritual counseling in Ayurveda? No. Okay. Because Ayurveda focuses on three aspects, body, senses, and mind. Mm -hmm. Not Mind is not? No, mind is not consciousness. Okay. Mind is the intelligence that you have 
that keeps things the way they are and moves things the way they should move. It gives you thought process, it gives you analysis, it gives you discernment, it brings all the senses information, transforms into the meaning. All of that is mind, but it's an instrument. It is not, it is no different than having a body. So we say body, senses, and mind are three layers that our awareness veers around. Mm-hmm. In um, Ayurveda, we call um, Purush as the one who is inside the body, who made the body, who is living through the body, who is witnessing all the experiences. Prakriti is your body, your constitution, your way of thinking, your way of feeling, your attitudes, your perceptions, all of that is your nature, innate nature. Both are together. But the Purush is um, what is the innate sense of saying, okay, I want to have this experience. Mm-hmm. That's that awareness is we call purush. It's actually pu and rush. Um, pur means boundary. So if you go to India or even Bali, which is a lot of seventh-century uh, India, you will see names of the houses and cities with pur or pura, which means boundary. Mm-hmm. Uh, a city will have endingness pura, Ramnath pura, which means the pura or the boundary of Ramnath, like uh-huh. that. Um, ish means lord. So it's that Lord sitting in that boundary is you, is me. It's that individual because we wanted to experience certain things in certain way. And that's why we are here. Mm-hmm. But Prakriti is what gives that manifestation of the things around you so you can experience it. Ayurveda is all about working with Prakriti. Your body, your senses, your mind. But what gave you that desire to experience who you are and what you want to experience is not Ayurveda. Mm-hmm. That's spiritual part. It's the spiritual part. Exactly. Which kind of peak experience you're looking for, it's totally up to you. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with Ayurveda. Why you want to live is up to you. How you want to live, which kind of maturity you're looking for, which kind of experience you're looking for, it's your inner reflection. That's where all these Buddhists and Jain and Vedic, all these paths to dig up deeper of who you are. Mm-hmm. But the sages came together in conference saying, if they don't have enough vitality, if they don't have enough strength in their body, senses and mind, no there is no way for yeah. them to reflect back and say, why I'm here. Why am I existing? Yeah. So that's why Ayurveda was meant for, to create that foundation mm-hmm. so that you can go on, do what you're meant to do. Mm-hmm. But Ayurveda's role is not to tell you what to do. It's nothing to do with spirituality. Mm-hmm. It's sense. based on dharmic religion saying that you have to have foundation to have an spiritual experience. But Ayurveda is not, has nothing to do with spirituality, mm-hmm. which is why people get confused. I think they do get confused. That, that's a good distinction. Let's let's talk about some of the herbs. You mentioned uh, ashwagandha. Yeah. Ashwagandha is, I would venture to say, the most uh, popular Urban. Or popular, I would say. Yeah, huh? Or popular. Over popular yeah. herb, uh, Ayurvedic herb. So in in Ka- Western culture, anyway. Yeah, in Ayurveda and in Kayakalpa, rarely you will give single herb. Okay. Very rarely. Even for salt, I had ginger added to it. Even for cooking. It's like you will never cook with one spice your food and eat it. You're just, not going to only cook with salt and say, right. I'm just happy with eating with my salt. Right. It doesn't work. Otherwise, you, otherwise you will be... Your, bo- your body, mind, and senses want variety, mm-hmm. diversity, and they all come in complex combinations. Mm-hmm. We love that. As a human, even animals love that. The complex environment, nurturing environment, subtle subtleties of tones and everything in music. You won't mm-hmm. have one um, rag or one, one rhythm note and say, okay, yeah. that's music. It doesn't work that way. Right. So same with us. So there is no, no prescription usually in Ayurveda 
even in culinary work that you will use only one herb or one spice and you're done with it. It mm-hmm. doesn't work. So that's why I think people get confused when they take uh, Ayurveda's uh, herbs and then they think about curcumin from turmeric and that's Ayurveda. It's not. Right. Taking curcumin is not Ayurveda. It is not even in Ayurveda. In real turmeric, it's only 3%. Mm-hmm. But what is 97%, you discard, which yeah. Ayurveda will never do it. So, yes, ashwagandha is one of the herbs, but not the only herb. There are many herbs. Guruji is another one, which is really good. Um, if you ever see Tibetan Buddhism, mm-hmm. they have medicine Buddha. Yeah. He's sitting with a vessel in his head, the pot. Mm-hmm. In the pot on the top, there is actually an herb. It's called Haritaki. It's very sacred herb in Tibetan medicine. Imagine your medicine Buddha sitting with it. Yeah. And it's uh, very, very healthy. And, um, and so if you heard me talking about trifla, it is made up of three main herbs, out of which is one is amlaki, bivitaki, and haritaki. The haritaki is the same one I'm talking about. Most of the Siddha tradition says as you start to age, some aspect of those three have to be there in your life to be able to clean things that your digestive fire is starting to weaken. So as we pass through the ages, initially we have a lot of phlegm. We have, I mean, the baby is supposed to be fluidy. Yeah, they're damp. And then they become heat, which is where the puberty starts, and then the um, heat comes up, so pitta comes up. So you go from kafabba to pitta, and then you go vata. That's why all geriatrics have usually dry skin, constipation, Mm -hmm. racing mind, tremors, all of those are vata, internal Mm -hmm. wind increases. So you go through transition, as you go through transition, Certain formulas help, depending upon your innate constitution, to support it. So Haritaki is another one, Amlaki, which is the Indian gooseberry, the highest amount of vitamin C on the, any fruit that can have. Um, then is Shatavri, which really translates to wife of 100 husbands. So it's very women, or equivalent yeah. of Ashwagandha, but for on women's side. Uh-huh. And um, there is also... Um, like already talked about spikenard is used in um, arabics as well uh, for uh, uh, mind related things which uh, jatamansi it really means uh, hair of an old mother hmm. it looks like that jatamansi uh, it's which is himalayan spikenard or indian spikenard so there are many herbs i can go on for herbs but we won't finish but if you're looking for herbs and recipes uh, my instagram if you search with a tag for food as medicine you will see recipes and you will see herbs that i talk about that are very much in life for mm-hmm. kayakalpa or rejuvenation and things like that so food as medicine food as medicine that's your instagram page that's my tag for the that's post your, my okay. instagram page is dr prana dr pranaji dr, DR. dot p-r-a-n-a-j-i okay dr pranaji well, we've covered we've covered a long a long road from from history and the the uh, classic texts of Ayurveda to yeah. some modern herbs and some applications. Um, I really appreciate having you here. Please check out Prana's uh, website and his information for more information. And um, Prana, thank you so much for your thank your you. depth of knowledge and being here with us today. Really appreciate it. Thank you, and thank you for having me. I am honored to be here and talking with you. I enjoyed talking as well. <laughs> Thanks. And my website is pranajiacupuncture.com. Pranajiacupuncture.com. All right. Thank you. Thank you.